0: This is the Media Week Industry Podcast from the people at mediaweek.com.au. Welcome to a new Media Week Podcast. My special guest today is Tim Lane. Tim is a a broadcaster, best known with the AFL, but uh, also well-known to cricket fans as well, of course. And he's celebrating a reasonably significant milestone. Welcome, Tim. Thank you, James. Good to be with you. You've been in the sports broadcasting game for a little while. Now, um, what's this milestone we're making note of this week?
1: Well, as we speak, on the 6th of May, uh, it is 50 years to the day since I did my first sports broadcast. Um, it was in Devonport, Tasmania, calling a, uh, an Aussie Rules footy match uh, between Devonport and East Devonport, which will mean absolutely nothing <laughs> to uh, the vast majority of those who are interested in this. Um, and, uh, yeah, 50 years have passed And um, here I am wondering where the hell they've gone
0: <laughs> Now tell us what your current gig is these days You're at um, 3AW and you look after part of their weekend's coverage
1: Yes, I've been uh, broadcasting footy for 3AW since 2010 uh, So that would mean I'm in my 13th year with, uh, with AW Uh, I call a couple of games of footy each weekend. At the moment, I do Friday nights and Saturday afternoons. Uh, I host the pre-match chat that goes on before both of those games. And um, that's my lot pretty much um, with AW these days. I have also over the last four years in summer uh, been a part of Channel 7's test cricket commentary team. Uh, and I had done some work with, uh, well, it was regarded as called Macquarie Radio and before that Fairfax Radio uh, covering Test Cricket uh, through the various stations in our network uh, for a few years before that. Um, and prior to that, there have been uh, other jobs that we might uh,
0: sift our way through as we go. Sure, sure. Now, I spent a lot of my youth uh, and my and my, my early adulthood, spending a lot of time with you, Tim, um, uh, listening to a lot of cricket on uh, ABC radio, a fair bit of football, but cricket was my uh, my main passion, I guess. And um, back in the day, I can still remember the sort of, the shock a lot of people had when you actually left the ABC. Was, was that sort of the, know well, it wasn't really a controversy, but was that one of the landmark sort of, Points in, in your broadcasting career, it was yeah.
1: It was a, it was a, a decision that um, shocked me in a sense because I um, was very happy doing what I did at the ABC, and um, at that stage of my life, I had not long turned fifty. Uh, I imagined I would probably uh, spend my entire working career there, um, but. The personal circumstances changed, uh, and that's what led to it. Um, it's sort of a, it is a personal story, I suppose. But um, I had been single and single parenting for a number of years. Uh, my daughter Sam, who is known to some of our audience uh, as a journalist and broadcaster, um, she lost her mother at a relatively young age, and uh, so I became a sole parent. Um and um I was single through about a dozen years of that. Uh and then I, I met a woman. Um the relationship got pretty serious. Uh serious enough for her to be considering where it might go, and pointing out to me that I worked every weekend in winter and she was working full time at that stage. Uh, And then I travelled quite a bit during summer, so there wasn't going to be a whole lot of us time. And um, at that stage, it looked as though we might've hit the rocks somewhat prematurely, but uh, I said, well, look, there are other possibilities. And there had been one uh, put before me only a few months earlier. So I said, what if I revisit that? And, And that's what I did. And that involved doing AFL on channel 10 who were a relatively new player uh, in AFL football at that time. And uh, thus it was that I I departed the ABC fairly suddenly. Uh, They were precisely the reasons that I did it. Uh, And it did take me quite a while emotionally to uh, settle down from that because I had uh, found a job with the ABC when I was 21 years old, broadcasting sport, and so here was a career opportunity in front of me. Um, it took me from from Tasmania to Melbourne in the late 1970s uh, when I was in my late 20s uh, and then it had gone on for another 20 plus years and so leaving it, leaving the ABC was a considerable wrench. It had been great for me in so many ways. It had given me an opportunity, it had been patient with me as I learned uh, a thing or two about broadcasting and uh, in later years it took me to various countries of the cricketing world it took me to five Olympic Games culminating in Sydney in 2000, uh, it, it gave me um, tremendous career opportunities
0: Yeah I mean you, you obviously adapted to the world of commercial uh, broadcasting well, was it a, did it take you a little while, was there was there anything that you know surprised you about moving into commercial that maybe you weren't ready for?
1: I think what surprised me was the fact that I just instinctively felt somewhat insecure. It was it was different. I knew that. It, it sounded different. I mean, it's not as though I didn't um, listen and watch uh, commercial media, um, particularly their sporting output. And uh, I suppose... I wondered a bit for a while, you know, whether I belonged there because they are different worlds. There's no doubt about that. Um, but um, uh, over time, I, I settled, and um, and in fact, you know, I regard it as having been a, um, a really good experience um, in in more ways than one. Uh, it's kept me employed. It's um, it's looked after me well. And um, I suppose I've been able to satisfy myself that um, I could survive and, and make a worthwhile contribution in that different commercial environment. And um, that's fulfilling to me. And um, I've had uh, great years and uh, my employers have been good to me and uh, I've appreciated them greatly and uh, AW in Melbourne in particular uh, because it's been a constant through, as I said, 13 years now, um, uh, you know, I feel tremendous appreciation
0: towards. Just refresh my memory, though, so that t- 10 and 9 shared AFL rights for five years, was that right?
1: They did, yes. They came in together along with Foxtel. It was a three-cornered consortium, as it was known, uh, and they squeezed Channel 7 out at that time, their first year. Uh, covering the football at seven's expense was or at seven's cost was um, two thousand and two.
0: Right, right. Okay. Okay. Cause there's a there's a bit of chat now about what might happen with the rights and I guess, you know, you're part of you're in the nine payroll, I guess, and there's there's no real expectation there perhaps going to bid for the AFL, but uh, from it would seem i mean there's a lot of chat that 10 is pitching again big time to try and get them um it's been some good work from reporting it at, at aw and within the in the age just on this recently but um it would seem to be a very big wrench for the afl to move away from the current partners in seven and foxtel have you got any sort of view on that
1: well, I have no idea as to, to where it will go, but uh, I know that the AFL um, won't be sentimental about it if they uh, get it an offer they can't refuse. Um, I think we all know where, where that will lead. Uh, so that's got to be regarded as a, a distinct possibility, um, I would think, in the, in the current environment. Um, uh, but... Um, I, you know, I, I don't know that it's definitely headed in, in that direction. We'll, we'll wait and see. Everyone takes a bit of an interest in these things and um, we all talk about it with great authority over a drink or whatever, but uh, I don't think anyone knows exactly, particularly given the fact that um, the AFL are pitching offshore. So it's, uh, it's, it's out of our view um, to a large extent right now. We've really just got to wait and see whether, um, you know, suddenly we hear some news that takes our breath away, such as the last uh, Ryan Steele did when Rupert Murdoch rode into town, I think feeling somewhat snubbed by the uh, NRL over aspects of the negotiation that had gone on between them. And uh, all of a sudden he was very favourably disposed to uh, the Indigenous game and, uh, and the AFL were able to benefit from that and uh, came up with, a. I think it was a $2.5 billion deal that was achieved at that time
0: yeah yeah Uh, you've been involved in the calling of um cricket on commercial radio a little bit as well I think uh, along your journey is it it seems to me be a, a bit of a harder sport for for commercial radio cricket
1: well it is true because it um the season tends to start before all the talk show stars have gone on their summer holidays. I mean, if it just fitted into the holiday period, mm. uh, it, would, it would work much better, but uh, um, it, it doesn't. And that's just the cold, hard reality. And I guess um, test cricket could seem a, a little slow moving for, uh, you know, over endless hours, um, six or seven hours a day, um, five days per match, Five or six test matches over the summer, um, so it's never quite been the perfect marriage. Um, we felt in the years that I was uh, involved uh, covering it on AW and Associated Stations that we came up with a very good product. There was uh, plenty thrown at it to achieve, you know, good commentary teams, and um, you know, having had experience. Uh, covering cricket with the ABC for many years. I, I felt what we were serving up was um, it was very good uh, and a good match for um, any other network that might be covering the game. But that fit was always a little uncomfortable and in the end it, uh, it didn't last. But you never know, it might come again at some stage.
0: Yeah, I just... I, I wonder sometimes if the scheduling of the cricket season hasn't done the game any favours. I'm always... Totally surprised if there's a there seems to be an odd weekend sometimes in January where there's no big game on, and you just think, Well, this is this is really a wasted opportunity. I, I remember when I was a kid, the the tests were all the Brisbane test was always the first one, I think Adelaide was always the Australia Day long weekend. Um, That's right. and 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 there were dates in the calendar. I mean, Melbourne and Sydney are still reasonably fixed, but there's the others just seem to move around a little bit.
1: Well, being a 50-year broadcasting veteran, I am old enough to remember years when I was back at school and the final test of the summer was yet to be played. Uh, In fact, I can remember a teacher turning on the radio during a class in 1961 um, during the final test of the thrilling tide test series between Australia and the West Indies. So uh, here we were into February, and that that series still hadn't come to a, a conclusion. Um, these days, things tend to be much tighter. Tours are shorter, um, and it's you know for, for for reasons of family and so on, it's just not suitable to have players away from home for the vast periods that uh, used to be required of them. Um, but. It's so complicated, you know, trying to fit in the three different formats uh, and the needs of visiting countries tend to vary from summer to summer. So there isn't that reliability of match and, uh, and particular week on the calendar that once existed. And uh, it's a pity because, I mean, for those of us old enough to remember earlier times, uh, we tend to get a bit misty-eyed <laughs> about what it would be like. Nevertheless, you know, it's still there and uh, it'll continue to be there for a long time.
0: Tim, give us a a few of the names who who back in the early days maybe helped form you as a broadcaster and then also throw in some of the current team, your colleagues, I guess, you work with at 3RW that you still maybe learn from or enjoy working with.
1: Yes, well, uh, I suppose when I do cast my mind back, I, I always think of Alan McGilvray, who was the king of radio cricket um, from the time I was quite young until, in fact, he he made his debut during the synthetic broadcast era in the 1930s, when a team of commentators used to sit in a studio in Sydney receiving cables from England, uh, and I think this stemmed from the, the degree of rivalry and interest that had been created by the Bodyline series of 1932-3. And uh, the only way, you know, there could be anything um, resembling a live broadcast at that time was to do it this way. It was like a couple of overs delayed, uh, cables coming in in code, in like shorthand, and having to be um, turned from, you know, that sort of encoded shorthand description into a, a broadcast. And McGilbrough was a part of that in 1938. Uh, and, um, you know, even I wasn't born then. Um, And I remember listening to him in the early 1960s and and he didn't finish until the mid-1980s. And so to me, it was like he'd been there forever. And he had a beautiful voice. Uh, He was known by the English commentators that he worked with as as the whispering commentator because you could walk into the box and you actually wouldn't know whether he was on the air or not. You, You could see his lips moving you couldn't hear anything and it was because he spoke so softly and gently i guess and he he uh, manufactured this sound that mixed with a a cricket crowd uh, i think captured the sound of his sport as perfectly as anything i've i've ever heard um i also um listened to lots of um, VFL as it was then and, uh, and, and as a kid in Tasmania to local football commentators um, I became a Carlton fan by the time I was about uh, ooh, 8 or 10 years old and um, I started listening to matches from Melbourne, I, I lived in northern Tasmania you, you could get a reasonable reception across Bass Strait in, in daytime hours, even better okay. at night and um, I used to listen to Norman Banks who was a legend here at 3AW uh, as a a talk show host, but uh, also as a football commentator. And uh, I remember becoming acquainted with his work at that time. It was quite different. It was an older voice, uh, very flowery in his delivery, but um, after a couple of weeks of getting used to it, I found I really enjoyed him. I always enjoyed the ABC commentators for the factual way they delivered it. Jack Dyer, Lou Richards were on the air here. Um, So I was taking notice way back then, but not imagining for a second that uh, one day I might be one of them.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I remember, did you work much with, because Dennis Cometti did a lot of great work for the ABC out of Perth. Did you work with him much?
1: Um, I didn't. In fact, I think we only ever worked together on the air on a couple of occasions, but I do remember that, Uh, My first job with the ABC was in 1973, the anniversary. um, I'm I'm not sure whether I'm celebrating or lamenting today (laughs) as, uh, as of an event in 1972. But in 73, I landed a job with the ABC in Launceston. And as soon as I began to feel any sense of acceptance and that there might be a career in the offing, I hoped I might get a job in Melbourne, but I was interested in whether there were any opportunities in other Aussie rules football states. Um, Western Australia looked a pretty attractive place. The job came up there, but I was—I uh, learned pretty quickly not to have any hope of getting that because um, there was a gun from commercial radio named Dennis Cometti, uh who was going to get that job. And okay. so it was. And so I became acquainted with Dennis's voice. I didn't meet him for gee, 10 or 15 years even because uh, in those days uh, Perth was a long way away and uh, young hopefuls like me didn't get too many opportunities to travel interstate. Um, but we eventually called a football match together when uh, Western Australia came over and played Victoria out at Waverley uh, in the 1980s. And uh, and I think during my very short-lived Time at Channel 9, I might have done one pre-season match with him back in 2002. Yeah. and You worked a lot
0: with uh, Graham Smokey Dawson, I think?
1: I did, although he was radio, and at that stage I was doing more TV work with the ABC and radio. We did quite a bit of cricket together. Um, So, yeah, new Smokey. Well, worked with Jim Maxwell, of course, over many years on the cricket. And you did ask me about my colleague's... uh, Today, and today, yeah. um, we've got a you know a terrific team at uh, AW. I work with Tony Leonard. We, uh, we did Saturdays and Sundays together for a number of years, and uh, these days I'm doing Friday nights and Saturdays. So I just have the one day with Tone and um, he is a fantastic companion in the commentary box. He began with the Could Have Been Champions as yes. part of a comedy routine, uh, and when they left the ABC and came to AW... Um, he realised there might be opportunities to try his hand at calling footy, which seemed a very strange fit. But um, he he was such a good right hand man to Rex Hunt during those Halcyon years at uh, at AW, and uh, I remember hearing his broadcasting in those times and thinking that um, you know he really was very adept at it. And uh, at that stage, working with Rex, he probably didn't um, he didn't take it upon himself to kind of use his skill with humour um, because Rex, you know, was the was the funny man in the team. But um, certainly these days uh, I, I love working with Tone because you just, um, he's not outrageous in the way in which he doesn't. He always totally respects the game, but uh, he can adorn it with some gems through the afternoon. And uh, there's never a, a dull afternoon with him. I call Friday nights with Bruce Eva, who is an outstanding yep. Uh, commentator, and um, and I'm told that um, yesterday a horse of which he is part owner won the Warrnambool Cup. So when he arrives oh. for tonight's broadcast, he is going to be <laughs> on very good terms with himself. Uh, I just hope he is uh, is in good nick because we've got a big broadcast in front of us. But the other thing that AW do superbly, and you know with great commitment, is ensure that we get the best possible analysts. Uh, mm-hmm. to, to add to our coverage, and um, from Lee Matthews to Matthew Lloyd, Jimmy Bartell, Tony Shaw um, down, it's 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 a great lineup, and uh, I feel really proud to work with them.
0: Yeah, I mean, as a, as a as a football fan, I I must say I find the work of uh, Matthew Lloyd to be just the way he considers stuff and, and what he says. It just seems very honest, and he's often so accurate with what he um what he his summaries.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, he is a he is a consummate professional. I think he he is thoughtful um, in the sense that when he finished as a player and came to media, he quite clearly gave consideration to what he could do to make uh, a career out of this that would last. Um, you can come in, you know, with a few tricks for a year or two and then wear thin. But um, I think Lloydy recognised that journalism um, is a skill that is not beyond a former champion full forward. And um, he took to that and he also, um, you know, concentrates very hard on the matters of how the modern game is being played uh, and and constantly refreshing his understanding of that and how teams are applying, uh, you know, what's required to the way in which they go about it, week in, week out.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, it, you, you look at Matthew Lloyd, and you think, is it a, is it a? There's learnings there for footballers, I guess, who think about a media career. You've to do excel. You've probably got to work as hard as as at media as you did in training for the for the game. Yeah,
1: look, I think you know things have changed, and it's such a competitive business now, and. Um, and and this has come about I think because of professionalism uh, within the game itself that when players retire they now have a very difficult uh, task ahead of them in trying to replace at least in part um, the sort of income that they've known as successful footballers and uh, media you know has now for a number of years been a uh, you know, a natural way of doing that. There was a time, I know, in my early years at the ABC where we probably didn't pay terribly well, but um, it was hard to actually interest uh, a lot of ex-players in, in coming and giving it a try. Whereas now they're queuing up because, mm. you know, they obviously see that this is, they have a skill, they've played the game and they, um, you know, they've given some thought to it, some of them more than others. Um, but um, you know now uh, not only have they got to um, um, get themselves you know sort of into the queue and, and perhaps get a an interview with the station manager. They've got to try and land a job, and not everybody can uh, because there are a lot of very good contenders with each annual round of retirements. you know you've got you've got you've got all sure. contenders for these jobs, and if you're going to survive at it, you've got to do it well, you've got to come up with a way that makes you
0: worthwhile. Yeah. Tim, now, you were a columnist for a number of years too. Was it mainly The Sunday Age?
1: Yes, I did. I had about um, 15 years or so writing initially for The Saturday and then later on for The uh, Sunday Age, which was a a string to my bow, which for many years I'd not really thought about, but I'd kind of admired the good writers uh, and then later on wondered whether perhaps I could... um, Try it myself, and, and then the opportunity presented itself, and thoroughly enjoyed it because if you're going to write something that's worthwhile, you've you've got to distil your thinking about a yeah. topic, and uh, then you've got to be able to turn it into eight or nine hundred words.
0: Yeah, look, I'm sitting in my soundproof booth here, but the fire alarm seems to be going off the outside. Oh, right outside my door so it's probably a signal that we should uh this up look it's it's been great uh, chatting to you Lee, i might just finish with this have you you know have you still got a passion you've still got a few few more years left in you
1: well i'd like to think that uh it's still a possibility um i uh, the COVID period has been interesting i mean it's affected us all um, we've done most of our broadcasting over the last couple of footy seasons from a studio um, yeah. and a lot, a lot of my broadcasting over the last couple of cricket seasons also from a studio. And I must say I've been refreshed this football season by getting out and going to uh, the grounds, um, you know, and being at the MCG with uh, sixty or 70,000 is something that you can never possibly Duplicate um, in a studio, you you might be able to create a similar sound from the studio, but uh, it's sort of re-energised me, and uh, I still enjoy it. I I, I suppose I I get a bit more tired from doing it than I once did, but um, I'm still vertical, and uh, I still sleep pretty well at the end of it all. And uh, and the batteries are recharged, you know, at the start of each new weekend.
0: Yeah, yeah. And just quickly too, you you talked about being a single parent. I mean, you did a pretty good job, it seems, as a as a dad, because uh, a lot of people would know Sam, I think, working mostly for Seven these days. Is that right?
1: Well, she actually, um, she, she had been, uh, she, she was a print journalist in her first... Of course, yeah, the age, yeah,
0: yeah. In media,
1: with the age, and, um, and subsequently did some TV, first with Channel 10 on a show called Before the Game when they came into TV, uh, and then later on with Seven... Uh, she took a redundancy from the age, um, oh, four or five years ago now, oh. and um, she made a, a move to to a bit of a sudden decision to go up to Sydney where she had a, a friend who's in the media business and they had some ideas about doing stuff together. Uh, and Sam has enjoyed it there so much that um, she's still living there on Bondi Beach and she... yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, is uh, probably doing more corporate work now than she's doing broadcasting or or print, but um, she's still around and she's still going well.
0: Yeah, no, it's great. All right, so look, um, thanks for your time. It was great um, great chatting with you. Um, Have a great call uh, this weekend and and enjoy your uh, 51st year.
1: Thank you very much, James, and uh, it's been a pleasure having a chat with you.